Book Two, Chapter Three of Sybil or the Two Nations by Benjamin Disraeli. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The situation of the rural town of Marney was one of the most delightful easily to be imagined. In a spreading dale, contiguous to the margin of a clear and lively stream, surrounded by meadows and gardens, and backed by lofty hills, undulating and richly wooded, the traveller on the opposite heights of the dale would often stop to admire the merry prospect that recalled to him the traditional epithet of his country. Beautiful illusion! for behind that laughing landscape penury and disease fed upon the vitals of a miserable population. The contrast between the interior of the town and its external aspect was as striking as it was full of pain. With the exception of the dull high street, which had the usual characteristics of a small agricultural market-town, some sombre mansions, a dingy inn, and a petty bourse, Marney mainly consisted of a variety of narrow and crowded lanes, formed by cottages built of rubble, or unhewn stones without cement, and from age or badness of the material, looking as if they could scarcely hold together. The gaping chinks admitted every blast. The leaning chimneys had lost half their original height. The rotten rafters were evidently misplaced, while in many instances the thatch, yawning in some parts to admit the wind and wet, and in all utterly unfit for its original purpose of giving protection from the weather, looked more like the top of a dunghill than a cottage. Before the doors of these dwellings, and often surrounding them, ran open drains full of animal and vegetable refuse, decomposing into disease, or sometimes, in their imperfect course, filling foul pits, or spreading into stagnant pools, while a concentrated solution of every species of dissolving filth was allowed to soak through and thoroughly impregnate the walls and ground adjoining. These wretched tenements seldom consisted of more than two rooms, in one of which the whole family, however numerous, were obliged to sleep, without distinction of age or sex or suffering. With the water streaming down the walls, the light distinguished through the roof, with no hearth even in winter, the virtuous mother, in the sacred pangs of childbirth, gives forth another victim to our thoughtless civilization. Surrounded by three generations, whose inevitable presence is more painful than her sufferings in that hour of travail, while the father of her coming child, in another corner of the sordid chamber, lies stricken by that typhus which his contaminating dwelling has breathed into his veins, and for whose next prey is perhaps destined his new-born child. These swarming walls had neither windows nor doors sufficient to keep out the weather, or admit the sun, or supply the means of ventilation. The humid and putrid roof of the thatch, exhaling malaria like all other decaying vegetable matter. The dwelling-rooms were neither boarded nor paved, and whether it were that some were situate in low and damp places, occasionally flooded by the river, and usually much below the level of the road, or that the springs, as was often the case, would burst through the mud floor, the ground was at no time better than so much clay, while sometimes you might see little channels cut from the centre under the doorways to carry off the water, the door itself removed from its hinges, 
a resting-place for infancy in its deluged home. These hovels were in many instances not provided with the commonest conveniences of the rudest police. Contiguous to every door might be observed the dung-heap, on which every kind of filth was accumulated for the purpose of being disposed of for manure, so that when the poor man opened his narrow habitation in the hope of refreshing it with the breeze of summer, he was met with a mixture of gases from reeking dunghills. This town of Marney was a metropolis of agricultural labour, for the proprietors of the neighbourhood, having for the last century acted on the system of destroying the cottages on their estates, in order to become exempted from the maintenance of the population, the expelled people had flocked to Marney, where, during the war, a manufactory had afforded them some relief, though its wheels had long ceased to disturb the waters of the Mar. Deprived of this resource, they had again gradually spread themselves over that land which had, as it were, rejected them, and obtained from its churlish breast a niggardly subsistence. Their re-entrance into the surrounding parishes was viewed with great suspicion, their renewed settlement opposed by every ingenious contrivance. Those who availed themselves of their labour were careful that they should not become dwellers on the soil and though, from the excessive competition, there were few districts in the kingdom where the rate of wages was more depressed, those who were fortunate enough to obtain the scant remuneration had, in addition to their toil, to endure every morn and even a weary journey before they could reach the scene of their labour, or return to the squalid hovel which profaned the name of home. To that home, over which malaria hovered, and round whose shivering hearth were clustered other guests besides the exhausted family of toil, fever in every form, pale consumption, exhausting cynicus, and trembling ague, returned, after cultivating the broad fields of merry England, the bold British peasant, returned to encounter the worst of diseases with a frame the least qualified to oppose them, a frame that subdued by toil was never sustained by animal food drenched by the tempest could not change its dripping rags and was indebted for its scanty fuel to the windfalls of the woods the eyes of this unhappy race might have been raised to the solitary spire that sprang up in the midst of them the bearer of present consolation the harbinger of future equality but Holy Church at Marney had forgotten her sacred mission. We have introduced the reader to the vicar, an orderly man who deemed he did his duty if he preached each work two sermons, and enforced humility on his congregation and gratitude for the blessings of this life. The high street and some neighbouring gentry were the staple of his hearers. Lord and Lady Marney came, attended by Captain Grouse, every Sunday morning, with commendable regularity, and were ushered into the invisible interior of a vast pew that occupied half of the gallery, was lined with crimson damask, and furnished with easy-chairs, and, for those who chose them, well-padded stools of prayer. The people of Marney took refuge in conventicles which abounded, little plain buildings of pale brick, with the names painted on them of Zion, Bethel, Bethesda, names of a distant land, and the language of a persecuted and ancient race. 
yet such is the mysterious power of their divine quality breathing consolation in the nineteenth century to the harassed forms and the harrowed souls of a saxon peasantry but however devoted to his flock might have been the vicar of marney his exertions for their well-being under any circumstances must have been mainly limited to spiritual consolation married and a father he received for his labours the small tithes of the parish which seemed to him an income by no means equal to that of a superior banker's clerk or the cook of a great loanmonger the great tithes of marney which might be counted by the thousands swelled the vast rental which was drawn from this district by the fortunate earls that bore its name the morning after the arrival of egremont at the abbey an unusual stir might have been observed in the high street of the town round the portico of the green dragon hotel and commercial inn a knot of principal personages the chief lawyer the brewer the vicar himself and several of those easy quidnuncs who abound in country towns and who rank under the designation of retired gentlemen were in close and very earnest converse in a short time a servant on horseback in the abbey livery galloped up to the portico and delivered a letter to the vicar the excitement apparently had now greatly increased on the opposite side of the way to the important group a knot larger in numbers but very deficient in quality had formed themselves and remained transfixed with gaping mouths and a curious not to say alarmed air the head constable walked up to the door of the green dragon and though he did not presume to join the principal group was evidently in attendance if required the clock struck eleven a cart had stopped to watch events and a gentleman's coachman riding home with a led horse here they are said the brewer lord marney himself said the lawyer and sir vavasor firebrace i declare i wonder how he came here said a retired gentleman who had been a tallow chandler on holborn hill the vicar took off his hat and all uncovered lord marney and his brother magistrate rode briskly up to the inn and rapidly dismounted well snigford said his lordship in a peremptory tone this is a pretty business i'll have this stopped directly fortunate man if he succeed in doing so the torch of the incendiary had for the first time been introduced into the parish of marney and last night the primest stacks of the abbey farm had blazed a beacon to the agitated neighbourhood end of book two chapter three